We're going through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3. If we're going to impact a community for Jesus, I know of no better place to go than the book of Acts, the first century church plant. So it was two weeks ago we started looking at Acts chapter 3, how Peter and John were doing what they did every day. They had a faithful prayer time. They were accountable together. They went to prayer together, and they were doing that when they encountered this crippled man, and there were ripple effects that went throughout the community. And I want to say, what can we, how can that apply to us at Transformation Church? So for context's sake, let's go back to chapter 3 and verse 1 and read that one more time. And if you're physically able, let's stand up and give honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. Peter and John went to the temple. This is verse 1 one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. He was lame from birth and later on in the book of Acts, we see he was about 40 years old at the time. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, I said that was convicting to me because a lot of times if I see a panhandler or somebody, I want to dodge my eyes away from it. So when I read that, it convicted me. They said, look at us. They wanted them to see the love of God in their eyes. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Man had to walk for 40 years. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand and by the right hand and helped him up. We said people in East Hall need a hand up. They don't necessarily need a hand out, but a hand up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk, walking, leaping, and praising God. He went to the temple with them. Father, I thank you that this word is just as true in 2022 as when it was written there for the first century church. I thank you that Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you that your word is power. Your word transforms lives. Preachers and singers don't transform lives. We thank you the power is in your word. So as we study your word today, make us more like you. Lord, give us a vision. Give us a glimpse, just a glimpse of what you want to do in this East Hall community in such a way that it will have a ripple effect that we can even touch the nations from right here in Gainesville. We pray all these things in the name of your son Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated. We said a couple of weeks ago that in scripture when you see somebody who's lame or crippled, it's kind of a, a picture of our spiritual helplessness. That man could not do anything to get up on his own. There was nothing I could do to save myself. I had a godly granny. I had godly grandparents who prayed for me. But they couldn't save me. Only Jesus could save me. Only Jesus could reach down with his nail-scarred hand and lift me up. So simply going to temple, that guy had been going to the temple for like 40 years. Just coming to church isn't going to change your life. Just coming and showing up will not change our lives until we submit to the Lordship of Christ. If all we ever do is just come hang out and have a holy huddle, we're not really going to touch this community. We'll encourage each other and that's important for us to encourage each other but God called us to plant a church to reach this community for Jesus. So we're we're in a community center. You know, we always say it's paid for at taxpayer expense, which is pretty cool for me because I don't know about you, but I just had to do my taxes and I complain about it and I don't like it. Praise God. We only had to pay $100 in federal because once my tax deductions grew up and got married, (laughs) I've been paying thousands for the last, a preacher having to pay thousands. But by the grace of God, we donated a lot to Goodwill, so that came in handy. We only had to pay it, but I I hate it. I don't like the complication of it. I gotta pay $300 through my own taxes online and get audit defense. 
But we're benefiting from our taxes in this community center. We could never afford to go out and buy a building. And our heart at this point, Anita was asking me about long term. At this point, we don't have any desire to build a building. If we're not paying for rent, and listen, my wife grew up at First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida. Have any of you ever been there? It's one of the largest churches in the country. Great church when she grew up there. If you sit in the top, on the back row of the balcony, you are one city block away from the baptistry. That's how big that church is. But you know what they're doing? They're selling their buildings. They're selling their buildings and they're planting churches throughout Duval County. They're keeping the old, they call it the Ruth Lindsay Auditorium, that only, only seats 4,000 down there. Why? Because the upkeep on the property, they can't afford it. They have so much property. They said, we want to touch Duval County and Jacksonville. So they're selling most of their downtown property. To, this is the trend. If you talk to Pastor Johnny Hunt, who just retired at First Baptist Woodstock, he will tell you the biggest mistake he made was building that big old auditorium. So will Transformation Church have a building? Yeah, maybe one day in the future. But for now, our, our heart is we want to touch this community. And if we don't have a house payment and we're not having to pay for upkeep and repair, we can do more things to touch this community with the gospel. So beautiful. Beautiful churches don't save people. If you've ever been overseas to Europe and you've seen all those beautiful, beautiful cathedrals, they were built during the Dark Ages and the Inquisition. Not really times of evangelistic fervor. They're just museums today. So this guy's at the gate. Get the picture. Large numbers of religious people went by him every day. They just passed him by every day. Ignored him, didn't pay him any mind until Peter and John came along. Again, convicting to me. You know, I, I am a man. I do not enjoy shopping like my wife does. It's like I want to go kill it, bag it, and take it home. I don't enjoy that. When we're shopping, I want to know what I want. I want to go get it and get out of there. Really, I'd rather just have Amazon.com and get it at my house in two days. But the Lord convicted me, you know, because I'm on a mission. I don't want to talk. to. I just want to get what I need and get out of there. And I thought about the fact that all these people pass that guy every day. How many people do I pass when I'm on a mission? And I have no thought about their eternal soul. I have no thought. I'm just in my own world. I'm on a mission to get what I want and get home. I think about all the times in my busyness I've missed the opportunity to share Jesus with people. I've missed the opportunity. to. I can, I'm telling you, I can think of specific instances that the Holy Spirit convicted me about. It's like the Holy Spirit teed it up and put it on a tee and all I had to do was swing it and I whipped. I just walked away. It's convicting. I'm not proud of that. I'm just trying to be real with you here. We've all had opportunities to share the Lord. God had just used Peter and John to heal a man lame from birth. And all these people came looking and Peter said, Aha! I got them. They're here to see what's going on. I'm going to tell them about Jesus because it's all about Jesus. He didn't get tongue-tied. He didn't put his hands in his pocket. He didn't fumble around. He boldly preached the Lord. And if we're going to touch East Hall, we've got to look for opportunities to connect with people in this community. And they're noticing. Might not hear a lot. I was talking to a guy out here. He said, I was out here playing ball a few weeks ago. And I saw y'all walking around all over the property. Thought, he said, it's not Sunday morning. Why are they here? So we're prayer walking. We're praying. We're asking God to do big things here. People are taking notice whether they say a whole lot or not. Our mission is to point people to Jesus. It was a miracle. God, God raised that man up. But the whole purpose was to point people to Jesus. That's what we've got to do. The, the, the most successful, largest growing churches in America, like First Baptist Jacksonville, like First Baptist Woodstock, are evangelistic churches. They don't exist for themselves. They exist to touch their community. Churches that are inwardly focused, and they just want to like focus on discipleship and small group, and that's all they ever do. Those aren't growing churches. Now listen, we're supposed to do all of it. 
We're supposed to do evangelism, discipleship, worship, service. We're to do all of that. But I'm telling you, if our focus is not outward, we're not going to be successful. If we want to touch this community, our focus has got to be outward. Our resources, we want not in this building once we raise this money, but then our resources are going to go outward. What can we learn from this? Write this down, number one. We must show our community living examples of transformation. We call ourselves Transformation Church. We've got to show our community living examples of transformation. Look at verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized that he was that lame beggar they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity. I want to see the opportunities. I want you to see the opportunities when we're out at Kroger and Walmart and ball practice and all the things that go on. He saw the opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? What's so surprising about this? He's teeing it up to point them to the Lord. As God transforms lives, the crowds come running. People want to see what's going on. When we start seeing people come to faith in Jesus here, when we have our first baptism service, whether it's in somebody's swimming pool or in Lake Lanier, I don't know where it will be, but when that starts happening and they go to work or they go to school and people see the transformation in them, they're going to want to come and find out what's going on. I know that firsthand because it's my testimony. Nobody knocked on my door. Nobody gave me a Bible. I have grandparents praying for me, but I got saved because I saw a difference in kids. And I wanted to know what was going on, so I found out they went to the same church, so I went to that church. When God is at work, people will come looking. It doesn't excuse us from the fact of inviting and sharing the gospel, but Jesus meets us where we are, and He takes us where we can't go on our own. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot raise this money. We cannot launch a brand new church on our own. They, want, they use the opportunity of that miracle to point people to Jesus. And you don't think people are going to talk about that? When a church plant raises $100,000 in a short amount of time and then two, people are going to talk about that. They're already talking about it. The skeptics are anyway. I'll get to that at the end of the message today. But transformed lives are what's going to grow this church. Do we need signs? Yes, we do need signs. We've talked about that. We're just going to get some simple signs. We've got to sign it here on the bulletin board. But we've not advertised a lot on purpose because if you just walk in here today, there's not a whole lot impressive for people who want to come back, people who aren't Christians. If you're Christians, you've got a heart for ministry, you will. So we've not spent a lot of money on that. So the best billboards we can have at Transformation Church are you. The best billboards we can have are you and me. For us to be living examples of those transformed lives, the people in Acts 3 saw that example of transformation power. Number two, we got to deflect the attention and glory to Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about transformation church. It's all about the Lord. People have said, Mike, I admire you. I admire you from walking away from your salary and your church to come and do it. Don't be admiring me because I wouldn't have done this. In fact, I didn't want to do this. I told the Lord I ain't doing that. So don't brag on me. This is all about what the Lord is doing. And that's what they did. Look at verse number 12. Peter saw his opportunity, addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. At the very beginning of the sermon, people said it was them. It was Peter and John who touched him. It was Peter and John who healed him. He said, uh-uh. 
On our own, we can't do anything. This is all about Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if God uses you to do something good for His glory, it's okay for somebody to thank you, but that is an opportunity to deflect all the glory to Jesus. You've heard me say, if you've known me very long, I'm a nobody from nowhere, broken home, mobile home. You take Jesus out of me, I ain't worth killing. You take Jesus out of me, I don't give two hoots about anybody. But Christ in me compels me to want to love people and for them to be transformed the same way that I have. So I tell people, anything good in me is Jesus. Blame me for the bad. All the mess ups, you can blame me for that. But anything good, it ain't Mike, it is all the Lord. That's what Peter and John did. They put the glory back on him. We're not proclaiming the gospel rightly if it's not all about Jesus. If the focus is on Transformation Church, if the focus is on us, we are missing it. We want God to grow Transformation Church, but why? Because it's all about Jesus. It's introducing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about our witnessing, everything about our sharing the gospel hinges on pointing people to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, What do you have that God hadn't given you? We're just saying it's your breath and our lungs. I can't even praise the Lord if He don't put the breath in my lungs. What do you have that God hadn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? So it's all right for somebody to thank you. It's all right for somebody to give you appreciation. But let's be quick to do like they did and deflect that glory back to Jesus. Number three, write this down. We must verbally tell our community the gospel that transforms. We got to show them that transformation. Then we got to open our mouth and tell them. We must verbally share the gospel. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected. He's getting kind of personal here. He's not preaching to their felt needs right here. He's pointing the finger at them. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. They said, give us Barabbas. He was a known murderer and terrorist. You killed the author of life, but God raised him up from the dead and we are witnesses of this fact. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just my testimony that's going to save anybody. It's not just your testimony that's going to save anybody unless we point them to the one who did that in us. It's the, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. That transformed life can get somebody's attention. They may admire us. They may even show up at our church. But until we say, hey, it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and no life is going to be transformed. That's what his sermon was all about Jesus, and so should our witnessing be. We are in the mode of talking about Transformation Church, Transformation Church. But even that needs to point people to Jesus. And how do we do that? I'm going to give you some sub-points here. Letter A, we must tell people who Jesus is. We must tell people who Jesus is. That may seem kind of duh to you. You know, when I was growing up, I can't think in rural South Georgia, there was anybody in Chris County didn't know who Jesus was. But we encounter people all the time now who don't know who Jesus is. They think he's some religious teacher. They think he was just a good man with moral teaching. When you understand he was God's personal expression of himself, that puts inescapable claims on our lives and accountability to respond to him for who he is. Only Jesus is the only one who never sinned. Have you ever tried to just go one day without sinning? I mean, sin is a struggle for all of us. Jesus lived 33 years, born of a virgin. He had to be born of a virgin. Number one, because it fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. But the second reason was the, the curse of sin is passed on through us, dads. 
men. We're the ones who passed on the curse of sin. So he couldn't have an earthly daddy. The Holy Spirit had to be his father. We've got to point them to the deity of Jesus and who Jesus is. And sometimes it's okay to, you know, answer their questions. People will try to throw a rabbit trail at you. But let's always bring them back to who Jesus is and then let her be. We've got to tell them what he did. Think about that song we've been singing, what he's done. I've listened to it over and over and over on my phone this week. We've got to tell people what Jesus did. Look at verse 17. Peter, when he's preaching, said, Friends, I realize what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. He said, Y'all didn't know any better. You didn't even know you were killing the Son of God. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. He said all the Old Testament, the Passover, all the festivals of the Old Testament were all pointing to the Messiah who was to come. And that's Jesus. He's the one who died on a cross, was buried, and he rose again. When they killed Jesus at the same time they killed him, but yet he willingly laid down his life for our sins. He could have called 10,000 angels to come get him, but he willingly let himself be crucified. And Peter says, y'all going to be responsible for that sin of putting Jesus to death. But because he went to the cross and because he rose again, even you people who put him to death, even y'all can be saved. He's telling them what Jesus did. I love singing about the blood. I love singing about the cross because it's a reminder I can't do anything on my own. I deserve to be in hell right now today for being the sinner that I am. But because of the cross, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Because of what he did, I can have right standing with God the Father. And I can point people to him. So when we sing about the cross, when we sing about the blood, that should humble us. It's an admission that we're messed up folks. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, we'd be on our way to hell or already there. If that's not the case, Jesus died for no reason. We were lost sinners, alienated from a holy God, and Jesus died on the cross, bridging the gap, that great divide, bridging the gap between sinful man and holy God. If his body was still in that tomb, if as the Jews say somebody came and stole his body, and if that was true, 2,000 people wouldn't be saved on this day when he's preaching this message. The fact that he's risen again, Peter could boldly declare that, give the gospel, and 2,000 people there in that one day believe in the resurrection, that he bodily was resurrected by his own power. That's what Jesus did. We've got to talk about who he is. We've got to talk about what he did. And here's what's missing in many churches in America today. Let us see. We must confront people with the sin problem. We must confront people with the sin problem. <clears throat> he said, y'all killed him. In verse 19, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. Mother Teresa, the Pope, you name it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And if all we do is talk about your best life now and how God wants to bless you and we don't address the problem with sin, that is not the whole gospel. You can give somebody, you know, eight happy hops to a successful life or whatever you want to call it, but if it doesn't confront that sin problem and getting me to turn from my sin, that, that word repent, it literally means I'm headed in this direction and I do a 180 and I turn and I head in the other direction. Is it unkind to confront somebody in their sin? It depends on how you do that. If we're a jerk about it, i got to put myself, hey, we're all sinners. I've lied. I've coveted. I've had bad thoughts. Hey, we're all in that boat, and that's what separates us from God. So the most kind thing I can do is to talk to people about their sin, because if we don't confront them in their sin, there is no salvation. 
So modern preachers today, many of them, we say, well, where are the heroes? Where are the Adrian Rogers of today? Where are the Charles Stanleys? I think Dr. Stanley's like 90 years old. Is he in his 90s already? He's, where are the guys like that? You don't hear a lot about these young preachers today because they ain't preaching the full gospel. They want to preach your best life now and how to have success. And, and listen, the gospel does bring about success. But I've got to be confronted with my sin and I've got to turn from my sin. If all I ever do is tell people God loves you, God wants to have a relationship with you, that is, all of that is true. But the only way to experience that love is to be confronted with my sin so I can repent and turn from my sin. Jesus didn't bleed on a cross to make me a better guy. Jesus didn't bleed on a cross so I could be successful in my business ventures. Without a Savior, we face a physical death and we face a spiritual death, eternal separation from God. So then as if that's not enough, if he's not being politically incorrect enough, then Peter sticks the knife in the gut all the way to the blade and he kind of twists it and said, not only did y'all crucify him, but you asked for a murderer instead. You asked for Barabbas instead. While the Jews in Jesus' day are literally the ones who put him on that cross, Charles Spurgeon says, every sin in the essence of it is a killing of God. Every time I choose to sin, I'm rejecting the sacrifice of the Lord. Every time I choose to sin, I'm forgetting what he did for me. If we're living for sin rather than for Jesus, it's the same thing as I'm choosing a murderer because my sin's going to separate me from God if I don't repent and turn to him. So Peter confronted them in their sin so that he could offer the hope of the gospel, so that he could tell them how they could be saved. And listen, ignorance is no excuse. If somebody's never heard the gospel, will they die and go to hell? Yep, ignorance is no excuse. That's why we have the Great Commission. That's why we give to missions. We might not be able to visit every foreign country, but with our tithes and offerings, when we start supporting our local association and beyond, the Annie Armstrong um, offering for, uh, for North American missions that just came up, we're going to be a direct beneficiary of the Annie Armstrong offering. It supports church plants like us in North America. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. We can touch people all over the world because ignorance is no excuse. They must hear the gospel. And if they didn't heed Jesus' warning after listening to Peter's sermon, he tells them in verse 23 they'd face awful judgment. We have not presented the totality of the gospel without confronting the sin issue. In letter D, then we got to offer God's grace to those who turn from sin into Jesus. Yeah, the bad news is sin. Oh, but the good news is so much better. Look at verse 20. Now repent of your sins, that means to turn, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. All my sins were washed away. Verse 20. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He's alluding to the second coming of Jesus. He came one time, and just as He kept all those promises, He's coming again. For He must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through His holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Talking about the Jews. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Without a relationship with Jesus, you will never know God the Father. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what's happening today. You're children of these prophets, you're descendants of them, and you are included in that covenant that God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up His servant Jesus, He sent Him first to your people, sent Him first to the Jews of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. And I don't think, I don't know of anybody that's a part of our church family that's Jewish by birth. 
Thank God that they sent the gospel to the Gentiles when the Jews wouldn't accept it or we would be left out there. We got to accept the bad news of sin before presenting the good news of forgiveness in Jesus. And you know, after Peter said all that, hey, y'all killed him, stuck the knife in, twisted it, y'all asked for a murderer. You think, man, he's building it up and saying, y'all going to die and burn in hell for what you did. No. He pointed out the sin so that he could offer that grace. It's times of, I love that phrase, times of refreshment. Well, y'all just got back from the beach. Ron and Jenna said they didn't get sunburned. They got freezer burned. It was cold there. And we'll be at the beach with my mom and aunts and uncles uh, three weeks from yesterday. Pray for us. That vacation was already planned before I had any idea we're planting a church or I wouldn't have planned this vacation. And my Uncle John is my mama's baby brother. Three older sisters. He's babied. The one who could do no... Everybody loves Uncle John. He's a two-time cancer survivor. And my aunt messaged me last week, Mike, pray for John. I'm just watching him go downhill before my very eyes. He was told last week he probably has leukemia. So this family vacation with my aunt, Julie and I have not been with them on vacation in 10 years. It's very timely for us to have this time with my Uncle John. But times of refreshment. I love worshiping here with y'all and hearing William and Matt and singing along. My best times of worship are really at the beach. I'm not making this up. I just watch the expanse of, of all, and go, my God spoke that into existence. Times of refreshing. I love the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. God's saying, if you repent, if you turn back to me, it's going to be more refreshing than the rains in the springtime. The Apostle Paul who said he was the chief of all sinners, found mercy in Jesus. Even as they pointed out the sin of these people, there's still mercy. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from the Lord, and people think, I've sinned too much for God to forgive me. Look at the cross. The cross screams that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So repentance is that change of mind and attitude that yields transformation. You can throw out a cool word like transformation. We're ordering t-shirts to sell at Lula Railroad Days, kind of as a fundraiser for our church and to get the name out there. Jenny's designed some cool shirts. If you were here for our Thursday meeting, you saw some of those. Transformation is cool. The butterfly is a good example of that, changing from a caterpillar to a... All that's cool, but people want to see what that means. They want to see that in us. They want to see us sharing that with people. Only repentance yields transformation. And just a little warning here. I wanted to go on into chapter 4. Number 4... We should be aware that it's the religious people who will most oppose us. It's the religious people who will most oppose us. No different than here. Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. They heal the lame man. Peter preaches. All these people get saved. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the religious people, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the hope of the resurrection. And they just printed, they just preached on that. These leaders were disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. To me, for what we're doing, that was significant. It's a reminder that the, our biggest critics in Hall County were probably going to be church people who don't understand why, what we're doing, who don't understand why we're doing it. And that's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. All the way back to right, it was the religious people, the people who claim, uh, listen, if you're saved, I want to rejoice with any church that plants in Hall County. I want to be a part of that, like Purpose Church is investing. I want us to be able to invest in other church plants. I want us, I'm praying that within our first three, four, five years, we get to plant another church right here in our own county. If the population is going to triple, we've got to do that. Not everybody's going to come here. 
But we could be a part of planting another church that may appeal to somebody else in this county. We've got to do that. But the religious people, when you start to threaten their religious establishments and their long-standing traditions, it's the religious people that will come after us. That's what the text says. But number five, here's the best part. When we keep the focus on Jesus, it's all about Jesus, the results will be amazing. If we, Transformation Church, if we keep the focus on Jesus more than our church, more than raising money, if it's all about Jesus, the results will be amazing. Look at verse 4. But many of the people who heard, you got the religious people criticizing, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men, it specifically says men. So that means there were some women and children. Because statistics show if you reach the daddy, you're probably going to reach the whole family. If you reach that man, he's going to lead his family. Told about 5,000. The first church plant, the first century church. That's why we're studying Acts. About 5,000 men. So probably most of those men were married. Probably most of those men had children. Who knows, 20,000 at this point already had come to know the Lord. We focus on Jesus, the results will blow our door. I hope come September the 11th. No, I hope come May the 15th. God blows my mind with what He's already done in helping us exceed that 100,000. I hope by August when all of it's due, I hope God blows it and says, Mike, you didn't have enough faith. Mike, I've got, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I sent letters to 300 people, not random, that I know that I have a relationship with. And there are others. And Matt and Jenny are going to be doing the same thing, and I've asked you to do the same thing. Anita this week texted, what, 21 personal friends and made an appeal for them to, to invest in what God's doing here. She wasn't saying just come to our church. If you live in Ludowisi, Georgia, or Tallapoosa, Georgia, you can invest in what God's doing even right here. So here's the concluding thought. Whenever we get an opportunity to talk to somebody about spiritual matters, will we point them to Jesus and what He's done? When we get the opportunity, am I going to do what I've done before and whiff on that tea and walk past it? Am I going to get in the zone of I'm going to bag it, kill it, and get out of that store? Or am I going to say, God, let me have my spiritual radar on Send me to somebody that needs you. Send me to somebody to encourage. This lady claims to be a Christian. I don't know her heart, but I'm building a relationship with a lady at Walmart. When I work the Walmart here in South Hall, she knows I'm there most weeks, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. She comes and talks to me every week. We wind up talking about the Lord. She's telling me some things God put on her heart. Now, she's saved, but she blesses me in a secular job, and I'm able to encourage her. If we've got our spiritual radar on, and I'm going to tell you, I'm just, full disclosure, I'm doing my job i got to have a case count, and they expect me to put so many cases out an hour. And this lady comes up asking me for boxes, and I'm like, yes, ma'am. I'm just doing my job. Leave me alone. And then she starts talking, and then I say I'm blessed. And she says, why are you blessed? And just like that, I, want, I need to have my spiritual radar on all the time, and so do you. If God's going to do a new thing here in this county, whenever we get an opportunity to talk to somebody about spiritual matters, we point them to Jesus and what He's done, because it's all about Jesus. You remember um, the Titanic? They built it as the ship that will never sink. And of course we know that it sank. Something I didn't know Jim Perdue, a former pastor, shared with me. Did you know that about half of the lifeboats from the Titanic were only half full? All those people perished because the people were selfish and they wouldn't reach out and fill the lifeboats. Boy, I see such an application to the church today. We said if every church in Hall County was filled, there'd still be tens of, thousands of, tens of thousands of lost people. The reality is more than half the churches in Hall County ain't doing anything. The churches are half full or less. We're like the lifeboats on the Titanic. We're satisfied with us four and no more when people are drowning all around us. And that's just, 
What happened on the Titanic was, you know, a physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. People are dying and going to hell. And I'm in the lifeboat. And I'm going to heaven. And I'm letting them drown all around me. May that not be the case for me and for you. Transformation Church, let's be the church that fills the lifeboats and takes as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. Because it's all about Jesus. You pray with me.